Father, your word says to us to be still and to know that you are God. We hear a lot these days, Father, of feelings and experiential sort of stuff. And everybody seems to be doing what is right in their own eyes, according to their own philosophies. And yet your word says to us clearly to know that you are God and there is no other. Help us to understand today your word. Speak to us clearly, Father, from your word. Firstly, as it is read to us. And secondly, as it is expounded. We pray, Father, that you would bless Duncan and give him assurance of your presence. That he might speak boldly and encourage us in that very word. And we would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 51. For the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sights. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast your presence, uh, do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, 
are broken and contrite hearts, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word to us this morning, friends. Well, if you're joining us just for today, uh, you've joined us on the second week of a series that we're doing through the Old Testament book of the Psalms, through the Bible's book of Psalms. Uh, It's part of this series where we're looking at really trying to take in something of just dipping our toes, really, in the breadth, the depth, um, and the glory of this book of Psalms uh, with a hope that it will change us, actually. It'll change us in many ways. It'll change us deeply on the inside. It'll also help us as we pray. One of the things we're looking at this year as a church is prayer and the Christian life and the gospel. The Psalms are a great way to start the year. Uh, Last week we looked at a great psalm of praise that lifted our eyes to the glory and majesty of God. This week we've got this psalm uh, of confession and repentance. Um, But before we get to the psalm, I I wanted to tell you a quick story. There was a a magazine published in 1897, so quite a long time ago. It told a story about the famous author Arthur Conan Doyle. If you know who Arthur Conan Doyle is, he's the uh, guy who wrote uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, And he seemed like a bit of a joker himself. He seemed like he he liked a bit of a practical joke. So apparently he was chatting with his friend one day and his friend had this theory uh, that um, no matter how respectable someone might be, everyone had a skeleton in the closet. Everyone had a skeleton in the closet. That was his friend's theory. So Conan Doyle came up with this practical joke on someone he knew. Uh, The magazine reports this. Uh, he kind of looked for the most respectable person he could find, right? So, selecting for the subject of his experiments a venerable archdeacon of the church against whom the most censorious critic had never breathed a word, uh, he went to the nearest post office and dispatched an anonymous telegram, uh, t- telegram to the revered gentleman. This is what it said, this anonymous telegram. All is discovered. Fly at once. That's it. All is discovered. Fly at once. And the new, this uh, magazine reports the Archdeacon disappeared and has never been heard of since. <laughs> uh, it's a great story because it reminds us about our capacity for deception, doesn't it? Um, our ability to hide our skeletons in the closet, even to uh, appear really respectable. Uh, but to have things around us that, uh, about us that if they were discovered, we would flee at once. Well, Psalm 51 is the cry of someone whose darkest depths were uncovered and exposed. Uh, but he didn't fly, at least not in the direction that the archdeacon did. <laughs> Uh, he didn't leave the country, didn't run away from the shame. This, this psalm shows us what he did. Uh, it, it's really an, it's a unique part of the Bible, I think, an incredibly precious gift to us. Uh, it deals with, it goes right, right down deep to our heart. It goes right to the depths of human sin. Um, and it's a huge contrast to our culture, isn't it? I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news. 
Um, the Hollywood news, it's all over the media. People's hidden secrets are being exposed. Um, you don't get many responses like Psalm 51 when that happens, do you? What seems to happen is that people, uh, they either kind of minimise what happened and respond in a kind of self-justification or a self-defence, um, or if the evidence is overwhelming uh, and there's no hope, then they go flip the other way and the opposite reaction is um, to sink in despair with no hope at all. The game's up, all is discovered, fly at once. What's so striking about this psalm is it doesn't do either of those. It doesn't kind of, David doesn't um, prop himself up and defend himself, but he doesn't, he doesn't sink in despair either. Um, it's the confession of someone who doesn't have even a shred of self-justification about him. There's no pride, there's no minimising of his sin. Uh, but he doesn't flip to the opposite end either. He doesn't go into hopeless despair. The miracle of this psalm is that it holds out the reality of forgiveness and even, not just forgiveness, even renewal for this exposed sinner. Uh, but it doesn't happen randomly. It doesn't happen randomly. There's a, there's a process that he goes, that this goes through. Um, uh, it happens through this process, that what the Bible calls repentance. Uh, and this psalm is really one of the key places to go if you want to know what repentance is, this, uh, what to do with your sin, with your skeletons in the closet. Uh, we'll try to get a taste of that today, this, what this real, real gospel repentance looks like. Um, we'll, we'll get a, a, I think uh, my prayers will get a, a glimpse of that. Uh, that it's not just a band-aid kind of covering over something, a, a solution that leaves you... you no, know, you do this sometimes. You, you might be sorry for something you've done wrong, but there's no real change within you. And you uh, uh, it, It's not just a band-aid solution that leaves you unchanged. This is something that leads to a deep heart transformation. Um, well, if you have your Bibles there, you know you can see right at the start of the psalm there's a little note, and that's a really helpful note because it tells you the setting of this psalm, what, what, why it was written, what's going on around it, and it's, you can see it there. Um, I think it's up on the screen from the director of music about David. Uh, it, perhaps you know the story. It, you can find it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 if you're a note-taker and you want to look that up later or flick to it now. Uh, in that story... Uh, David, he, David's the, the greatest Old Testament king, um, uh, the king of God's people Israel. And we're told in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel uh, that in the time when kings go off to war, David didn't. He stayed at home. Uh, he sent his army out, but he stayed home himself. And in, uh, one evening, not on the battlefield with his men, <laughs> but on the roof of his palace, uh, he looks out and sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. Well, the story goes on. David abuses his power and influence uh, and calls her to him. He tries to cover it up. And he tries to cover it up, but it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper uh, until this sin leads. Uh, he eventually, if you know the story, eventually arranges for this woman's husband, Uriah, one of his soldiers. He eventually arranges for him to be murdered. Um, and then... And then, then in what would have looked like a really gracious act, it, 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 he takes the wife of his murdered soldier for his own. Um, all, it all seems to have been covered up nicely. 
Uh, he might have been able to fool people around him, but he couldn't fool God. God sent a prophet, Nathan, to David. Uh, and you hear the story in, in, in 2 Samuel, it tells a story. Uh, Nathan goes to David and tells David a story, like a little a parable. Uh, he tells him about um, two men, a rich man and a poor man. The poor man has this lamb that's his, his heart's joy. Uh, the rich man... Um, uh, basically steals the poor man's lamb and kills it for a, tra- a visiting uh, uh, a traveller to eat. And David, Nathan goes to David and tells him this story and David is outraged. Uh, he says, that man deserves to die. How dare he? How could he do that? And then Nathan turns to him and says these words that shatter David's whole world. He looks at David and says, you are the man. That man deserves to die, David says, and Nathan says, you are the man. And at that moment, David's whole world shatters. God, in his mercy, wouldn't let David go on with this buried sin. And this psalm is his response. It is remarkable, actually. It's one of the richest meditations on human sin and on God's incredible mercy and grace, and on what it looks like for God's people to receive his mercy in genuine, real, transforming repentance. So let's look at it, shall we? (laughs) Uh, If you have your Bibles open, you see, it should come up on the screen too, but um, all through the psalm, uh, and we've already kind of touched on this, all through this psalm, David knows that he has nothing in himself to claim before God, having been exposed. He, he has nothing in himself. He doesn't cling to anything about himself. As I said, there's no hint of self-justification. The only thing that he can cling to is the mercy of God. Real repentance, real gospel repentance is grounded and starts in and is energised by the mercy of God. Verse 1, that's where David starts. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my sins and blot out my transgressions. You see, there's, there's a few words there that to describe God. David talks about God's mercy. Um, you might have heard it said that grace is like uh, we get what we don't deserve. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. A bit confusing, but uh, mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. David looks at his life and his sin and he says, don't give, don't give me what I deserve, Lord. Have mercy on me. And then he says, according to your unfailing love. This is a really rich word in the Old Testament, this word unfailing love. It's a loaded word. Another way it gets put is things like covenant love. Uh, It's God's deep commitment to his people, shown in his promises given to them. His promises given to them that he would take them and he would be their God, they would be his people, and he would use them to fix up the world and bring healing and restoration. and uh, That covenant relationship, that promise of God to his people, that's what David 
um, goes to. That's the basis of David's claim for mercy. But then you keep going and it talks about God's great compassion. It's another, the Psalms do this, right? They, um, I used to play a game when I was a school teacher with the kids. You'd uh, have a mystery object, right? A mystery object. And um, uh, one person, the kid would be blindfolded and the other one would have to describe the mystery object, not using any words that would give it away. And you kind of had to turn it around and look at it from different angles. And you, they'd describe it from different angles, trying to, trying to guess what it is. It's kind of, that, that sort of thing happens in the Psalms a lot. It's, this thing gets picked up and turned around from all different angles. You get this rich picture. It doesn't just say, God is merciful. He's the God of unfailing love. He's the God of great compassion, this rich emotional words to describe God here. And friends, this is where real, deep gospel repentance begins. It's where it ends, really, kind of carries it all the way through. Not with ourselves, but with God. We know as Christians, we know this mercy of God, this giving to, not giving to us what we deserve. This mercy of God has been poured out on us fully in the Lord Jesus at the cross. That's the fulfillment of his covenant love, the outpouring of his great compassion for you. God's mercy is the only starting point for David's repentance. He, he doesn't say, God, I've made mistakes. They're pretty bad. But, you know, I've done some good stuff too. <laughs> Look at my life. Look at all the things I've done for you. I, I know I've done some bad things, but on balance, you know, that, my, my life comes out pretty... He doesn't say that at all, do you? When he's faced with his sin... His only hope is in God. His only hope is not in himself, but in God. In his rich mercy and unfailing love. And the, the reason why he goes on to in verse 2, because he's had exposed the depths of his own sin. That's what he goes on to in verse 2. And this is another one of those picking it up and turning it around using different words. And uh, It's another one of these times. Verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity. Iniquity is like uh, the word iniquity. It means something that's twisted or corrupted. Uh, the life that is away from God as ugly and deformed, not the way it was meant to be. Wash away my corrupted, twisted iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That word sin it, Maybe you've heard this, this before. The, the, the word originally had to do with archery. Uh, you're an archer and there's a target up the back. You shoot your arrow and the arrow flies to it but misses the mark. So the idea of sin, this word sin here is of, of missing the mark. You've got, a, you've got something set for you, a target set for you, and you miss it. You miss the mark. The arrow falls short for me, Lord. Me. From my sin, my missing your mark for me, Lord. Uh, for I know my transgressions. We've had this twisted iniquity. We've had missing the mark with sin. But here transgressions, you get the sense of a proud rebel spirit towards God. This transgression. Uh, it is knowing 
and deliberately crossing a boundary that God has set for you. A line's been given, you've been told clearly not to cross it, you know what's wrong and you stick out your chin and do it anyway. Uh, David knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew that God's good design for sex was given to be enjoyed only within marriage between a man and woman. He knew God's good law that protected his good design. And we're told in 2 Samuel 11, before it all happened, he asked about Bathsheba. He knew whose wife she was. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he stuck out his chin, blocked out God's word, and did it anyway. Well, it's a pretty dark picture, isn't it? (laughs) Just a couple of verses in to this psalm. Uh, But it goes on. I'm afraid it gets worse. Uh, It actually gets surprising and uh, possibly a little shocking in verse 4. Notice what he says in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sights. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We've just heard David's story, right? How can he say, against you and you only have I sinned? He murdered Uriah, took advantage of Bathsheba, failed the whole nation that he was over. And yet he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. I don't think David is denying that he has sinned against other people, or he's hurt other people. That's not what he's doing. What, what he's saying is that, of course, he's damaged other people, but all of those sins, they're actually just they're a symptom of a much deeper sin, a heart condition that bubbles up and shows itself in all different ways, some of us more spectacularly than others. But it's the same condition on the inside. He's, uh, the sin under all his sins, the root of it all, is his sin against God. Sin is, first of all, not a horizontal thing. It is, first of all, a vertical thing. Uh, it's not just bad actions or stupid mistakes, not even only just hurting people. It is, it's personal. This universe belongs to God. And when we reject him, And his good rule over us, it is a personal rejection and sin, a a twisted uh, twisted iniquity, a falling short, a conscious transgression. Um, Martin Luther, one of the reformers, we looked at him a bit last year, but when he wrote on the Ten Commandments, you might know the Ten Commandments, these ten, the, the law God gave to Israel that kind of set the the boundaries of their life together. Uh, Luther talks about how the first commandment, which says, you you shall have no other gods but me. Uh, Luther talks about how that commandment sits at the head of all the others and all the other ones, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Um, They they talk about your relationships with other people, but Luther says you never break those other commandments without first breaking the first one. You will have no other gods but me. It's the root under all the others. The sin under all sins is rejecting God's good and rightful rule, not trusting him, and instead putting other things in his place. Being out of tune with God. 
um, what the Bible calls idolatry. And this deep sin is something every person shares in. It showed up, like I said, it showed up in David in a pretty extreme way. But in the story of the Bible, this deep sin is something we all share and that's what it gets called original sin. But David talks about it in verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. And just kind of as an aside, that's interesting. Like it's a, in a strange way, it actually gives real dignity to those children in the womb, doesn't it? Um, they're not just um, tissue; they are culpable, moral creatures made by God um, and loved by God. But it's a pretty confronting picture here, isn't it? David is utterly defenceless. He peels off his layers of pride and he stands before God completely exposed in his sin. Not just his sins, but his deep sin, his idolatry and rejection of God. And he stands rightly condemned under God's law. He accepts it. He doesn't plead mitigating circumstances. Like I said, he doesn't point to all the good things he's done to outweigh the bad. He's a broken man. And that is exactly where he needs to be. That is exactly where he needs to be. Where you need to be, where I need to be, if we're going to repent and be renewed in the only hope David had, the only hope we have, the cleansing and renewal that come not from inside ourselves, but that come from outside of ourselves as a free gift given to us in the gospel from the mercy and grace of God. That's where he needs to be deplete for this cleansing, and that's what he does from verse 7. He says to God, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. David knows he needs cleansing. It feels really good to be cleansed, right? I don't know if you've ever been really, really dirty. Um, the times when I have, uh, kind of stand out most in my mind is when I used to play rugby a long time ago, and uh, over in Sydney in the rugby season, it just wet and muddy, and it never stopped us. Uh, one time we snuck out of the boarding house and uh, played a game of rugby in the dark, in the pouring rain, in the muddy, sort of horrible, you know, like, and it, we loved it, right? We came back all dirty and smelly, and but the hot shower afterward. <laughs> Such a relief, right? Such a cleansing, a relief for me, actually mainly a relief for the people around me. Um, maybe you've had a similar experience, you know, some, yeah, just the, the, the relief that comes when you experience cleansing. But this isn't, obviously, this isn't an external cleansing. This is such a, a more profound, deep heart cleansing. And he talks about hyssop. Do you notice that? It's kind of easy to jump over, but it's actually a really important plant in the Bible. 
It was used to dip in animal sacrifices in the temple and sort of used for cleansing ceremonies. You'd be sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice using the hyssop branch. Um, Jesus on the cross, it was a hyssop branch that uh, he sipped the wine from uh, in a Passover. Um, It was a hyssop branch was used. So there's so much in this psalm that just points straight to Jesus, straight to the cross. The whole psalm is soaked in atonement, in payment for sin uh, through sacrifice, ultimately through the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. So we can be sprinkled with his blood and cleansed and accepted. Notice what goes on though. Okay, we're, we're sort of going through the psalm. We'll pick up speed a little bit here. He doesn't just ask for cleansing though. He asks, he goes further in verse 10. He goes further. It's not just kind of wiping away a cleansing of his iniquity, his sin, his transgression. He goes deeper, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He pleads not just for a kind of negative thing, a cleansing, a taking away, He pleads God for a renewal, a new heart, a steadfast spirit. Down in verse 12, a willing spirit. That's an interesting little little phrase, isn't it? Grant me a willing spirit. He wants not just to be cleansed from his past sin. He, He doesn't want to just now live in God's way in a kind of gritting your teeth and regretting, you know, kind of just plowing through. He asks God to change him so that he he wills what God wills. He longs for what God longs for. He loves what God loves. He hates what God hates. He he wants God to change his will right down deep in him. And he wants the joy of his salvation again. He's lost it. He's lost that. It's not saying he's not saved here, but he's lost the joy that comes from his salvation. We'll talk more about that later. But he pleads to be cleansed from inside out, deep down. He knows this can only happen through a miracle of God's grace, through his word and his spirit. I think that's why he prays for God not to take his spirit from him. It's kind of the prayer of a desperate man who knows it's all from God. It's God's spirit needs to be at work in him. God is his only hope. But then he goes on again. There's more, right? This psalm goes down and down and down and down. And then it lifts us back up and up and up and up. Uh, do you notice what goes on as we read through? It's, it's not... A lot of the time, we're so individualistic, right? When we talk about our sin and maybe even about repentance. It can become all about us, but not for David. Do you see that? It's, it's not just an internal focus. One of the, this is really surprising, I think. It's... This is a psalm about David's great sin, about his repentance, but it doesn't end in a kind of self-absorbed introspection. Uh, Real repentance, having your sin cleansed and your heart renewed by God's Spirit, real repentance lifts you out of yourself. It frees you from the burden of self-centeredness, of fear, of pride. It finally lets you Forget about yourself and move 
outside of yourselves to other people. You've been, see what real repentance says? You have been seen all the way through, deeply, with all of your skeletons, all your junk, all your iniquity and sin and everything. You have been seen deeply, and through the cleansing death of Jesus, God declares that forgiven. And so your life can stop being dominated by guilt and anxiety. Your life can stop being dominated by pride in your own achievements. Your pride is exposed as the sham that it is, and your guilt is completely taken away. As far as the east is from the west, we're going to sing later. So at the end of this psalm kind of ends with David moving outside of himself in this humble confidence that comes from the renewing work of God's Spirit. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. He's not talking about a formal teaching here. He's more talking about his, his, his personal testimony of God's saving power. He, this is wonderful, isn't it? Real repentance... Real repentance, if we've, uh, it leads to a heart for evangelism, actually. Um, for other people to experience this same wonderful, liberating, deep forgiveness and renewal and cleansing and even joy. And it leads David to praise from verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And he just broadens out and out and out, so he ends with, the people of God gathered to praise him and bring their sacrifices to him. Having repented, having had this broken spirit, having not been despised by God but welcomed in and cleansed, may it please you to prosper Zion and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He ends with this huge vision, right? Sacrifices different for us this side of Jesus but he ends with his vision of sacrifices that flow out of a repentant heart and notice he says beforehand um, you, God you don't accept these sacrifices, he's saying you, you, we can't just do things for God and expect them to kind of earn our way to him uh, but it's not that God doesn't want us to live for him, he's saying uh, real sacrifice that is pleasing to God flows out of a repentant heart a broken and contrite heart that knows its sin and that clings to God's grace and pleads for his renewing spirit to transform us deeply into the people he created us to be. Well, friends, this psalm is remarkable, isn't it? We've kind of, you know, there's lots, <laughs> lots in there we haven't touched. But it points us to, it really points us to what the whole Bible actually points us to, what the gospel of Jesus gives us. And it is something utterly unique it says to us you it says to you you are discovered 
And God's word exposes you, me, all of us. But instead of flying into a rage of self-defense or flying away in hopeless fear, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection gives you another place to fly. A place where you can be honest, not lie about your own darkness, no matter what you've done, the darkness we all share because of our deep idolatry. The gospel declares to you that you, you are, exp- are seen, exposed, fully known, and yet, at the same time, not because of your own goodness, but because of God's unfailing love, because of his mercy, because of his kindness to you in Jesus. You were both fully known and fully loved and forgiven and through the blood of Jesus washed and renewed. So really where this psalm leaves us with is the question, have you, have you flown not in kind of self-righteousness, not in fear and anxiety. Have you flown to the only place where you can be both fully known and fully loved? Have you flown to Jesus? It might be that you've never done that. That If, if that's you, your, uh, your sin needs dealing with. It will eat you up. From the inside, it, it play, and it, what's more than that, it places you under. Notice we, he talked about God's just judgment. David knew God's judgment was just, and our, he knew, knew that God, our sin places us under that judgment. On one level, it's totally understandable that we don't want to be exposed given that reality. But we can't hide forever. You can't hide forever. God. Sees, and in his justice he will judge. But in his mercy he has given Jesus. And through him he offers you. Now, right now, today, he offers you complete cleansing and forgiveness. He offers you a renewed heart, a steadfast spirit. He offers you his own Holy Spirit. Fly at once, not away from him, but to him. A broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. Maybe you've never flown to this God, but maybe you have, and maybe for you it's, this is very common, isn't it? Maybe you've just lost the joy of your salvation. I wonder, I actually wonder if that's partly why David did what he did. He'd, he'd lost Maybe he'd lost the joy of his salvation, uh, so he went looking for that in other places. He went looking for that satisfaction and peace elsewhere. Or maybe it worked the other way. His sin kind of put this barrier between him and God, and um, he, he found himself going through the motions. He'd lost the joy of his salvation. Either way, this kind of true and deep repentance is the is the only way. It's the path back to joy. So friends, I just want to give us an opportunity today, all of us, um, to respond to this word of God, this word from his, his word, the Bible, 
to respond to it wherever you're at. Um, Maybe for you to flee, to fly for the first time to the arms of Jesus, to his blood shed for you to cleanse and wash you. Maybe for you again to bring the darkness that is, that is within all of us and will remain with us until Jesus returns and makes everything new. Uh, to bring that to God again. Not with your chin out, not, in, not pleading the things that you've done, but for you to come before him in a broken and contrite spirit. And the way we're going to do that is simply by um, praying this prayer together. The words will come up on the screen in a different format, so I hope it's easier to read. We're going to use this as, I guess, a, a, for ourselves, a prayer of confession. Um, and we, uh, as we, each of us, come before God and as we, together, as God's gathered people, re- remind ourselves and declare not only the reality of our sin, but stake our claim on the, the truth and reality of his grace to us in Christ, his cleansing. So friends, um, if for whatever reason you don't want to pray this out loud with me, that's totally fine. Um, but if you'd like to join me, just stay seated. Um, but we'll pray this and then we'll have a bit of a, um, uh, we'll have an opportunity to sing as well in response. Um, to God's word. So this was the psalm David wrote when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And friends, will you join me and let's pray this psalm together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. 
You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 